Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. Please forgive me for the rough sounding audio here at the beginning of the podcast. It gets better in about a minute. Uh, we're going to jump to the service audio. I won't take too much of your time right now since I don't have my microphone. I uh, just want to say today was an awesome day and we are so pumped for Easter this week. Uh, please come on out and visit us. We're going to be at North Straub Park. If you just go to diffchurch.com, you'll see all the info you need. Make sure you bring blankets and chairs to sit in or follow us on social. Uh, we'll have everything you, you need there as well. We can't wait to see you. Also, the week after Easter, we are going to not be at church. We're going to be celebrating at the beach. Uh, so let us know if you want to come join. And uh, that's it. Let's just go ahead and jump straight to the service today. Uh, today is Palm Sunday, and our people were apparently very excited for Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. <laughs> Good response for Palm Sunday. Woo! Okay, so Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter where we remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. You guys familiar with this story? He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. He sends his disciples to go get it, and they're like, why? Do you want a donkey? And he rides on a donkey, and then everyone's like waving palm branches and shouting and celebrating. And of course, we know what happens after. It's not like a delightful end to the story. Um, Jesus is captured, and all of the events of Easter week happen. Um, and then he is, dies and is buried and rises again, and then we celebrate Easter, which of course we're doing one week from today. But Palm Sunday is actually a day that is set aside in the church to celebrate the goodness and the glory of God. Now, you might think, well, we're supposed to be doing that every Sunday, <laughs> which I suppose technically, yes, that's true. But in the liturgical calendar, I love the liturgical calendar, which is something that more traditional churches follow. So like Lutherans, Catholics, um, Eastern Orthodox, we have this liturgical calendar that marks time throughout the year. So Easter is a special time, Lent is a special time, Christmas is a special time, the Advent, and then about half of the year, it's just called normal time, just everyday time, you're just marking time, which I find very restful to just think that there doesn't have to be something exciting going on every second that we have to prepare for. But Easter as a season and Lent is this very special time that the church is like, we want to specifically focus on these things together. And there are plenty of passages in the lectionary to choose from about the glory of God. Like half the Bible is about the glory of God. And this morning we're going to the Psalms. We don't normally go to the Psalms, but we are going to Psalm 118 today to be specific. Now the book of Psalms as a whole affirms the steadfast love and loyalty of God who embraces believers. Like anybody who believes and attempts, even attempts a faithful response to the divine love. One aspect of this response is communal worship, which is what we're doing right now. Getting together as a faith community and offering thanksgiving and praises to God. Now, of course, we're doing that right now, but this psalm comes from ancient Jewish practices. So Psalm 118, fun fact, is actually the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It would have been sung in and around the temple frequently, and it's part of a liturgy that celebrates the redemptive power of God. So our reading has some of the most familiar words in scripture. And these phrases have been used by Jews. They've been used by Christians in worship since they were uttered 2,000 years ago. And actually, that's my favorite part about us getting together. And it's my favorite part about the way that we use the lectionary here at Diff Church because 
we are joining our voices, not just with millions of people who have thought about and contemplated these words over the centuries, but there are many churches right now, today, at the same time that we are, thinking about the same verses, thinking about God in the same way that we are. And I think that's so powerful. And here's some of the familiar words. So maybe you've heard these. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Or this one. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Or this phrase. This is the one I heard the most growing up. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. We've got a fun little song. Maybe we can do that sometime, Jared. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I'll let the band do it. You don't want to hear me sing. <laughs> so within the worshiping community, the psalmist, which is the writer of the psalm, he's the poet, these statements are meant to bring hope to everyone. So we're going to read together, and then we're going to think through it. So this is Psalm 118, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip to verses 19 through 29. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his steadfast love endures forever. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. The gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. Thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is wonderful to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Now, if it sounds kind of like a procession, it, does, it obviously doesn't rhyme in our English. <laughs> but in Hebrew, this is a processional song. So it's a song that you would sing as you're going into the temple. It's not one that you sing when you're already there. Otherwise, let us go up to the gates makes no sense. You'd be like, well, I'm already past the gates. There are no gates in this room. So they're singing it. They're all singing it as a group. It's an occasion for a procession as the entire community is gathering together specifically to acknowledge the saving work that God has done for them and the privilege they have of being able to enter because God is so faithful, because God's steadfast love endures forever, all believers are welcomed into the holy place and are able to share in God's good gifts of love and mercy and peace and hope. And we might be tempted to read the words of the psalm and just be like, that's nice, I guess. Nice, makes me feel good. But this psalm, and there's plenty of others like it, but this one in particular is so special because it's a common feature in the congregational, the church life of Jews after the exile. So after Israel was taken over and destroyed by Babylon and the, their people's homes were destroyed, the temple was destroyed to the ground, there was nothing left, there was no walls in the city, the people were forced out of their homes for years. And so years and years later, they're finally able to come home. They're finally able to get back to their place where they come from and they rebuild their homes and they rebuild the walls of the city and they rebuild the temple. And after all of that, they're able to sing this psalm. 
after a seemingly hopeless end to their nation, to their future, yet God had proven that his steadfast love endures. God remained faithful to them. God remained loyal to them. And the proof of this is that they were finally home in their own land, worshiping in their own temple freely with nobody yelling at them, nobody coming in to take over. They were able to have freedom of religion, essentially, in their own space, finally. And God's steadfast love is mentioned multiple times in this psalm. In our passage that we read, it's mentioned three times. It's mentioned five in the whole psalm together. And steadfast love, that phrase, the Hebrew word is hesed. And it refers to God's loving kindness and care, which is an unmatched faithfulness that delivers believers away from trouble and into a more confident way of being. And I think that is one of the most beautiful words in Scripture. Not like God's loving kindness. What does that even mean? <laughs> like, have you ever looked at your partner and been like, your loving kindness just fills my heart with so much joy. No, that's a ridiculous thing to say. But, but we can all relate to our partner or our parent or a good friend when we are having a situation and they have that calm, fierce love that stabilizes us when we're going through something that helps us be more confident. I think of like a little kid who's melting down and it just, all it takes is their parent being like, you got this. You can do this. I'm here for you. And then they come and they're like, yes, I can do this actually. I'm going to go do the thing, whether it's sliding down a slide. It may seem overwhelming to them. And we need that as adults too. It may not be sliding down a slide that's overwhelming to us, but maybe just the thought of going to work tomorrow is overwhelming to you. And we need somebody to say, you've got this. It pushes us into a more confident way of being when our own stores are low. And that's what that word means. God's love delivers us from trouble, and gives us a more confident way of existing. And the root of that word is actually taken from like a mother's womb, which I know that in the psalm, God is only referred to using male pronouns. But also we have this image of God as a fiercely protective mother, who, which I can understand a little bit more now <laughs> that I've had a kid. Like, I've never been in a fight in my life, ever. But I will fight you if you harm my baby. You could even, like, just think about harming her. And I would be like, okay, let's go, like, right now. Like, I can't, I, I look at her, and I'm like, Josiah got me a shirt that has a picture of a bear, and it says mama in the middle of it. I never really understood that. Like, intellectually, I understood that. Like, oh, yes, of course. Like, a parent always is going to feel that way for their children. Until I had a child, and I was like, oh, no, it makes me crazy. Like, I just look at her face, and I'm like, Anyone in your whole life until the end of time, I will, I will fight them. <laughs> like, that's, that's a bit much, I think, but that's how I feel. And that's, that's the root of this word, is God feels that fiercely protective of us. God feels that loyal to us. And using that term to actually describe God is kind of countercultural, because the gods in antiquity were very fearsome and angry, um, or stern, or just completely uninvolved, and they didn't care. The Greeks referred to their ancient gods as apatheia, from which we get the word apathy. Like, that was their divinity. Their gods, they referred to them as apathetic. 
they were liable to be violent and capricious and um, completely unreliable. And if they did show up in your life, they might like murder you instead of helping you. So you didn't really know what you were gonna get. You just had to like make sacrifices and hope it was okay. And for a lot of us, I think we tend to assent mentally. We're like, yes, God is good. God is love. But for the writer to describe God like this is actually something new. And perhaps it might still be new to many people, depending on how you were raised. Maybe you were raised with an image of God as like an angry mathematician who's just adding up every little good thing you did and every little bad thing you did and just waiting the scales. You're like, well, one bad thing too many strike you dead. Maybe you were raised with or you have this experience of like the Old Testament God is super angry and super violent and that's, that's then. And then we have this New Testament God who's like all grace and love. Maybe you have this image of God that we should be afraid of God. We should fear God. And we have like guilt, like we can't. We can't relate to God. It's hard to communicate with God because of our image. And all of this is actually what the psalmist is trying to get rid of here. So he's writing and he's saying, if you're stuck on an image of an angry, wrathful God who is just seeking retribution against you, then you're actually missing the good news. Because the good news is five times in this psalm. And three, in just the portion we read, we are reminded of God's steadfast love that endures forever. And we're reminded of it over and over because it doesn't sink in. Like, we mentally assent, we're like, God is good. God is love. And then 10 minutes later, we'll be like, I can't do that. God will shoot me with a lightning bolt. <laughs> Which, I mean, we're joking, but are we? Like, do we really think underneath it all that God's just waiting out to get us whenever we do something wrong? That God's out to punish us instead of love us and care for us and accept us unconditionally? Ernest Hemingway, who's you probably read him in like grade school. You were probably forced to read one of his books or multiple. He wrote like For Whom a Bell Tolls. Um, he wrote A Farewell to Arms. And fun fact, his house is in Key West. Has any of you ever been to his house? One, okay, you should go. It's the only house in Key West that has a basement. Fun fact. And also, it is full of six-toed cats that you can pet. You can pet, he like collected six-toed cats. So you can go visit his house and also you can get key lamp pie on a stick which key lime pie is the state pie of Florida. So if you don't like key lime pie, what are you even doing here? Key lime pie is fabulous. So I think you should go visit the Hemingway house in Key West, but that's beside the point. He wrote all these famous works, and then he wrote this little short story called The Capital of the World. And the story's set in Spain, and in the story there's a son who sins against his father, and he's just so ashamed. He runs away from home. And this was before you could track your kids on their iPhones. So his dad has no idea where he is. He searches all of Spain. He just goes around and around. He's looking for him. He cannot find him anywhere. And he's like desperate. He's like, where's my son? He's so ashamed. He's done this horrible thing. But I want him in my life. And he doesn't know this. So as a last ditch effort, he takes an ad out in a paper in Madrid. And this is what the ad says. Paco. Meet at Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday. All is forgiven. And he's just praying that somehow his son will see this ad and he'll show up. So dad shows up at the hotel, the square outside the hotel at noon on Tuesday, and he cannot believe his eyes. The police have been called 
to keep order because there are 800 Pacos in the town square waiting for their father. And like, that's kind of funny, but also isn't that heartbreaking? Like Paco is a common name, but there's 800 boys waiting to be forgiven by their parents. Desperately hoping to see their father and for their father to look them in the eye and say, all is forgiven. Just come home. Just come back. You have done nothing so bad that you can't come home. And you never will. And that like hurts my heart so much because how desperate are we just to be seen, just to be loved completely and fully, to be forgiven. Like 800 Pacos might as well just be us because we've all done stuff, right? We all have something we wish we hadn't done. We all bear the marks of life. We all have harmed relationships, sometimes with our parents, sometimes with other people, sometimes with God. We've done, and I hear this from people like, I did this. God will never, God could never love me. God could never accept me fully. And right here in the middle of scripture, in the middle of our most sacred text, on Palm Sunday, the Sunday that actually we dedicate to celebrating God, we hear the same affirmation over and over and over. And it's God is faithful, and God's steadfast love endures forever. God is faithful, and his steadfast love endures forever. God is faithful, and his steadfast love endures forever. And the only response we can give is just to be thankful and to praise and to sing, just like the psalm in verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. We're in verse 24, this is the day that God has made. We should rejoice in it. We should be glad. We're in verse 28, you are God and I will praise you. But the writer doesn't actually stop with praise. It's not enough to say, thanks. <laughs> thanks for loving me. He continues, save us. Keep saving us. In verse 25, because deliverance and salvation and affirmation and acceptance, these are not one-time things, Right? Like, I don't need my husband to tell me I love you one time and then I'm good for the next 50 years. This is not going to work for me. You don't need to tell your kids one time I love you and you're valuable to me and that's good enough until they're adults, right? We need it over and over. We need affirmation. We need acceptance. We need hope over and over, sometimes multiple times a day, sometimes every morning. God has delivered in the past but we have to need it again in the future. And faith for the future is actually based on the truth that God's love has endured already and will continue to endure. And this song is sung at Passover in Jewish congregations where Jews celebrate their freedom from Egypt. They're not just remembering for the sake of remembering. In remembering, they're envisioning a different way of life. They're subverting this reality around them that can be full of death, it can be full of hopelessness. But yet we give thanks to God. Because God is not done with creation. God is not done with us. We are being endlessly created again. 
Salvation's not like this thing you're like, dear God, please save me. Okay, thanks. And then, like magic, you're just, everything's fixed. No, every morning. It says in elsewhere, in scripture, it says God's mercies are new every morning. That's like the King James way of saying God's acceptance and affirmation and love and hope and everything that God has available to you, the infinity of resources that God has available to you are new every morning. You can never get to the end of them. You can never exhaust the supply. You can never be like, well, I had some yesterday, so I guess God isn't available for me today. It's every morning there's new abundance for you to access. And everybody present in this congregation that's singing this psalm, they're invited to repeat the words. The priests, the singers, the people in the audience, they're invited to declare the words out loud that God is endlessly faithful and God's love endures forever. And that's beautiful to me because at any given time in a faith community, there will be some who don't believe those words. Or there will be some who can't quite get there. And there'll be some who do. It's part of the power of worshiping God together. Like this is why we get together. Because we carry each other and we're able to be carried ourselves. Like maybe this morning or this week or this year is difficult for you to proclaim that God is faithful and God's love endures forever. That's okay. You don't have to like muster up some will and just be like muscle through it. You're like, yes, God's faithful, even when you don't mean it at all. You don't have to muster up the will to give some kind of half-hearted thanks to God when you don't mean it. It's why we're together. It's why we're worshiping together, being faithful together, giving thanks together, so that when you can't, with any sense of conviction, say those words, or when I can't say with any sense of conviction that God is faithful, the faith community as a whole will say it. And we will declare it for you. We will declare it over you so that you are still carried in through the gates of the temple, so that you still have access to God. You're still able to enter God's presence and receive the abundance that is new every morning, no matter what your current doubts or struggles are. And maybe later, maybe next week, maybe next year, you will do the same for someone else because then you will be able to say with conviction, God is faithful and God's steadfast love endures forever. And someone will be next to you and say, I don't know if that's true. I don't feel like it's true right now. And we will carry them. And on this Palm Sunday, we hear the crowds in Jerusalem. They echo these words of Psalm 118. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, they sing, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, who's entering a holy city on a donkey. It's more than just part of the Easter story. It's more than something we just think about once a year and we're like, yeah, Jesus was on a donkey. Cool. <laughs> it's the miracle of God's complete attention to humanity. I wonder if we ever think of Jesus in that way. Like we think of Jesus like coming to save us or we think of Jesus like coming to deal with sin or we think of Jesus coming to give us access to God. But have we ever thought about Jesus as the miracle of God's full attention to humanity? God's complete love. And so I'm gonna close with leaving, I'm gonna leave you with one of my most favorite verses in the whole Bible, which is Isaiah 54:10. 
and maybe you need this verse. <laughs> and it'll be up on the screen if you want to screenshot it. Because I feel like somebody needs to hear this because this is God talking. And God is talking and he says, if the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed and cast into the sea, yet my unfailing love will never be shaken, nor will my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. What does that mean? What is the most stable thing we can think of? The ground, right? Have it, has anyone here lived through an earthquake? I have not. We don't get those here. Like, what's more stable than the ground? What's more stable than a mountain? If the most stable thing we could think of is not stable anymore, if the mountains that have been there for centuries, thousands, millions of years, if they get actually picked up and dunked into the sea and are not there anymore, yet God's love will still be stronger than that. And God will not take away his agreement with us of peace. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet will my unfailing love for you never be shaken, nor will my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you.